Welcome to Before the Applause, the Fringe of Colour podcast. I'm Brianna Pagano, the creative director of Fringe of Colour Films. Edinburgh-based Fringe of Colour was set up in 2018 by our founder and technical director Jess Bruff to support Black and people of colour creatives throughout the August festivals. Last year, we launched our online film festival, and as part of that programme, we commissioned a collection of new work by some talented artists. To celebrate those films, we are revisiting conversations with the filmmakers. In the podcast, we delve into the creator's intentions, creative processes, and what it meant to be part of our festival. We spit some truths about the arts and entertainment industries, and we refuse to take ourselves too seriously while we do it. In this episode, I chat to Athena Kuklenu, British stand-up comedian, filmmaker, and writer, about her film, WPAU, White People Are Unreasonable. While a member of BBC Comedy Room, Athena was awarded the BBC Dexter Bursary for BAME Up and Coming Comedy, Writers in 2020. She's also a former BBC New Comedy Award finalist. For the film WPAU, White People Are Unreasonable, by Athena Kukplenu, here is the following audio description. WPAU, White People Are Unreasonable, seems casual and spur of the moment. It seems like Athena Kukplenu, our subject and filmmaker, simply sat down in her living room one day and decided to speak off the cuff to a live audience of her social media followers. It has the feeling of a long-suppressed rant, an explosion of opinion that had been simmering on low, unrelenting heat until the pressure became too much. This setting not only makes what she says feel more authentic, but also speaks to our collective reality in a time when many of us have suffered under isolation and helplessness. Athena discusses her feelings on the surge of BLM protests and activism that occurred online and in the streets in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, and she does so through the same medium that facilitated the rise of the movement in the first place, social media. I'm Brianna Pagato and I'm creative director of Fringe of Colour Films now, 2021. And I'm joined today by Athena, the filmmaker and creator of WPAU, for telling us a little bit more about the film that you made for us last year for Fringe of Colour 2020. But yeah, let me give you a, a chance to introduce yourself, Athena, on to you. Yes, thank you. Um, so I'm Athena, um, Athena Kabenu. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer, broadcaster, and now I can say filmmaker, I guess. I don't even thought of myself as a filmmaker before, but this was a film that was submitted to Fringe of Colour, so I made it. So I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> I put that on my website. And uh, yeah, and I make comedy, ma- ma- basically. I-, 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 I perform and write comedy because I love it and I'm very privileged to do that for a living. You know, that moment that you say you're a filmmaker, you are. You've made a film. People have seen it. Our audiences have seen it. Our entire team has seen it. So you are definitely a filmmaker. And on that note, okay, I want to know a little bit more about this film. I just I just rewatched it. And there's so much to it. It's three minutes and 47 seconds, if I can remember. 
Yeah. Can you just tell us about this film and set the scene? Um, what are we shown at the start and what's it about? The, sh- the film is, is basically as simple as it gets. It's, it's me venting. And the reason why it's me venting is because it actually came from a bit of stand-up. I was performing at the time. Fringe of Colour was inviting ideas for films. And uh, it was about something I felt passionate about, which was uh, the Black Lives Matter kind of um, second wave, if you want to call it that, or third wave, or whatever that happened in in 2020 after George George Floyd's murder, um, and I was feeling frustrated that um, black people were running around saying Black Lives Matter, but we weren't saying like white people are really dangerous. <laughs> you know, like historically, there's been centuries of kind of like kind of oppression from white Europeans, kind of all over the world, consistently as well, consistently violent, consistently depraved. And the focus is always on on the victimhood and not necessarily on on where it comes from. And I've always struck I've never and I say this in, in the video, I've never gone on a Black Lives Matter protest and I've never tweeted the hashtag because I feel like it's an insult to me to do so like I don't have to like yes of course it my black life matters like and this isn't really to criticize people who do it actually I'm actually grateful people do it otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation but I you know when I think about my beliefs and what I think is progressive and anti-racist I don't really want white people to tell me my life matters I just want them to not sift out my CV when I apply for a job <laughs> do you know what I, mean? I want them I want them to not um cross the road when they see my brother walking down the street I want them to stop I want the police to stop harassing us I want I want us to get the same health care as other people get and so and I, I suppose the argument could be if we tell people that our lives matter they'll start or stop doing those things accordingly but we all know that they won't and I just thought also if when white people start saying black lives matter they get rewarded but that doesn't help right so like they can go there were hundreds of thousands of people that marched you know last summer and then three weeks ago the government says there's no racism in this country and it's like, why aren't we marching against that? You know, where are those where do those people go? <laughs> where did they go? <laughs> so I, I wanted to talk, I wanted to make something that just introduced a, a slightly, just to have some critical thought about what was going on. Yeah, just to start that conversation. And I, I think so much of what you're saying goes without saying, but back to what you just said there about where the responsibility lies. And I mean, the fact that we have a hashtag that says Black Lives Matter Yeah, it is insulting that it needs to exist or that it does. But back to what you said about the fact that people are protesting, the fact that there's a movement, that is important. Yes, we wouldn't be here talking without that. But I want to come back to what you just said about responsibility and where people are not taking responsibility. Why are we not having conversations about the oppressor or all of you talked about this in the piece, the depravity of all of this oppression that's taken place. And I saw a post today that said something about how white scholars and scholarship focuses so much on oppressed groups and so many different cultures, but where are the scholars looking at whiteness? So I think back to what you're saying about that responsibility and where it lies. Yeah. I mean, can you say a little bit more about that? Because I think you brought humor into your film so beautifully around that when you started listing off all the ways in which this oppression has been harmful, but you gave some really clear examples. But yeah, do you want to say any more about that responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like a the biggest elephant in in the biggest room ever the the lack of conversation we have about the white reaction to brown skin <laughs> it's just sort of been consistently bizarre you know through if you don't cut if you don't pick up if you don't create enough rubber we'll cut off your arms um if we don't exterminate you then we won't be able to live in this land peacefully so we're just going to exterminate you you know i was just um, reading something today about slave practice this is quite brutal 
um, actually, I'm not going to say this is really brutal, but just to de- the, the the violence of of kind of what happened in in the Americas and in in and in the Caribbean with this sort of um, with forced labour of African peoples. I mean, we 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 sort of there's this weird thing like we kind of know it, but we're happy with it, and yet one black person mugs somebody, and all of a sudden black people are muggers. So like, well, hold on a minute, you mugged the world. <laughs> Who? Why do we have this stereotype? You literally robbed the world. I I learned. Um, last year um, working with an academic called Marlene Dolt who is Haitian and works in America she I'm, pro- I'm probably saying her surname incorrectly so apologies for that but she said you know the, the biggest genocide of the past of recent modern times was in the southern Americas about 70 million people indigenous people sort of dead dead you know 70 million you know and we we think about and then we, we know about the 15 million in the Congo and these are at the hands of, of white supremacists um, and so if we if we're going to talk about black lives matter and why don't we just talk about how unreasonable white people are like you're so unreasonable we have to come here and tell you we're allowed to be alive like that's how basic it has to get like oh okay they're not getting the message so what we've got to do is strip it down to its raw simplicity by the way did you not know that we're allowed to be alive like if we told them that 500 years ago would they have changed their minds of of course not um I, i also just to be clear i think i don't talk about this in the video but I do have an issue. We have a problem too as black people. Like a really good example is a big part of the Black Lives Matter movement was decolonizing the curriculum. If we taught stuff in schools, then we'd be better as a society. So what, are we going to wait 50 years for the schools to change? Or why don't you just teach your, teach your kids? Like, you know, you, we are sending our kids to white schools and we're expecting, you know, schools that are come from a white system of oppression that are controlled by white people that tell these schools what to teach. We're expecting them to, to benefit us. Like, I think we do lean too much on the idea of of wider white society changing and and we don't think enough about how we can better equip ourselves to to thrive within it whilst we live in the diaspora. Um, And yes, it is harder work. So what? You know, I didn't make the rules up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I didn't make up. And there's privilege within that, you know, okay, fine. I'm a very literate person. I'm educated. I know where to find black books, uh, blah, 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 blah. But now like with, with the democratization of, of, of information, like you can go online and you can, and you can teach, you know, once your kids go, come back in, from the outside world, your home should be a fortress against white supremacy. And you don't have to be an academic to, to make that fortress. Um, and running around saying Black Lives Matter has a benefit to wider society. But while society is taking a long time to change, there are, be- there are other things we can be doing as well. I think that's so important. And I think when you're talking about the responsibility that we have to be educating children, family members, our communities and doing that work at home. And I think what you just said there about, you know, our homes being a fortress against white supremacy is so important. And when I think about the festival in Fringe of Colour and we this year are running a Saturday school, paying homage to Saturday schools across Britain and sharing skills and knowledge um, within our team with the participants, filmmakers and writers that are taking place and, you know, taking part in this year's festival. I think you're, you're really right about that. And I'm wondering, in terms of switching gears a little bit, in terms of the process of actually making this film, because you said it was your first one or maybe the first one at a festival, did you find you had any issues or barriers that you were navigating when you were making this film? How was the actual process? I think the hardest thing I found with this film, and I generally find this with my comedy, is that I tend to have to find a way to talk to people who might disagree with what I'm saying initially or maybe by the end of, of, of me saying it. But I, I, I have this thing where I say I like to make people who disagree with me laugh, not as a challenge, but just to kind of just to kind of make a point to my art. Like, what's the point saying sensible things if, if you're not making a kind of positive difference? So how do, I, how do I tell all of these amazing people who are 
who want to make my life better that it's not enough. You know, how do I have, how do I have that conversation? How do I, I, I like look at something that is ultimately positive, but also point out why it could be negative. And so that came with the, with the writing really. And that, and that's where I got, I got saved by the egg mayonnaise sandwich, which is sort of a little, a little comedy trick that we use in comedy. It's a bit of like sugarcoating a pill, isn't it? It's like, I've told you this, but oh, isn't this funny? And egg mayonnaise sandwiches are disgusting as well. Like they do, I do despise them. I was crying that entire time, even retelling it back to the team, that, that part of it, you know, I was crying. That's all I can say. It was so funny. Yeah, it's the it's a nice way to talk about cuisine is a great way to talk about culture because what you eat is often tied to where you come from and it's it's quite a jovial topic you can talk about it without people feeling too too sensitive so it's a nice a nice way to kind of hide a conversation about about race and history but egg mayonnaise sandwiches that's how I kind of thought well what they invent you know there's a lot of genocide and 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 violence and things like that but also on top of that egg mayonnaise sandwiches that's a straw that breaks the camel's back in my in my opinion <laughs> that's it I've had enough no way <laughs> oh, you you definitely you, you told us about your process and you told us about why you've made the film and how did it feel being part of Fringe of Colour last year and yeah what also brought you to be part of the festival it was a real privilege at the time that it was happening I think most black creatives were, were feeling um very confused actually it was a very difficult time I had people calling me offering me work and I was like a guy had to die for you to put me in your writer's room like you know this is really uh, problematic and uncomfortable for me everyone's asking me Athena how can we be better and I would just be like well, why are you asking me like I'm not <laughs> I'm not an oracle do you know what I mean don't, <laughs> don't let the dreadlocks fool you like I'm not I'm, I'm not the one I'm not Erica Badu you know? like, <laughs> Um, but it, uh, yeah, it, I think, and it was, it was relentless every day. Everyone was like suddenly aware of racism, which is really extraordinary because it's not like it's not been a hot topic for, for a very long time. Um, so this was a really cathartic experience for me. And I really, I was performing a version of, of the video as stand up at the time. And I was really excited actually to be able to spread it a bit more widely, uh, through Fringe of Colour. So I was really grateful for that platform. And how do I know Fringe of Colour? Through, I just, I think one, one Edinburgh, somebody made a spreadsheet and I was on it. And that's how the relationship started. I'm glad Fringe of Colour th- thrived and is, is thriving. And I think this platform just to create art and not have to feel like it has to be filtered for audiences that might not get it or, or whatever is, is really important for acts who aren't white, especially in comedy where, you know, making people laugh people can be so risk averse about all of us. I can be risk averse, you know, producing can be risk averse, but you definitely don't have to worry about that with Fringe of Colour. You can say what you like as long as it's, you know, got good foundations and it works. And yeah, I feel like that's a really safe space for us. Fringe of Colour Films was born out of a concern for Black artists and artists of colour being left behind during the global pandemic that has changed the shape of the art world potentially irreversibly. Our festival continues to change shape and form, depending on the needs of our artists. This is more important than ever before. Fringe of Colour Films is running online from the 1st to the 15th of August, but these podcasts will be available indefinitely. You can find more information at fringeofcolour.co.uk. This podcast has been presented and produced by me, Brianna Pagado, produced and edited by Helena Rafai. Audio descriptions are by Mackenzie Woodyard and music by Caleb Azuma Nelson. And that's a wrap from Before the Applause. Thank you.